coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Fun show today. I hope they're always fun, but they're all fun. Yeah. Uh, Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, going to join the show at 340. We got a KU mailbag. If you want to get any last second questions in, you can hit us up anywhere on Twitter. Although, just as a little preview, one of the mailbag questions I personally did not appreciate. We'll get to that. So we'll have to listen along at 4.05 to find out which one he did not appreciate. Um, we also have, we're, we're going to start a series. So today, obviously, is, I don't know what, we're like 20 days out from the bowl game for Kansas? Uh, yeah. Something like that? Just yep. three weeks from yesterday? Yep. Um, however, in terms of the amount of shows we have remaining before the bowl game, including today, it is 12 left. Yeah. Okay. Because we have, you know, weekends off, yeah. holidays off. Plus the game, the is game actually itself. during yeah. the show. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know if you know this, Kansas all-time, this will be their 13th bowl game they've ever appeared in, which means they've appeared in 12 other bowls. We're 12 days out. We're going to start doing a series where every show for one segment, we're going to look back at one of those past KU bowl games. We're going to go chronological order, working backwards to forward. So excited to get to that on today's show. Uh, starting things off, you know, we, we've had the conversation a couple times here on the show. We with, have. Kansas needing to be active and looking to be active in the transfer portal, and one of those positions they certainly want to be active for, I would imagine, with the way that they've struggled this year, is a kicker and maybe even a punter too. And we kind of question, like, but are there any kickers in the transfer portal? Because you don't really see that come up. Well, I got news for you, Nick. A kicker is in the transfer portal from nearby Nebraska. Oh. His name is Charlie, I, I don't know if it's Weinrich or Weinrich, um, but... Charlie... Weinrich, I assume. Yeah, he was the he was the backup kicker for Nebraska. He redshirted in 2022, so he'll be a redshirt freshman with at that point four years left to play. And he get this is originally from Leewood, Kansas. Oh, that's pretty close by. He went to Blue Valley High School. Charlie Weinrich, and here's, come here's on the, down here's the bio on him. Um, he went 40 of 41 on PATs as a senior. He made seven field goals with a long. Of 57 yards. In high school? Yes. Wow. So. That's big time. Bring him aboard. Roll out the red carpet. Imagine like one of the KU donors is like, I will pony up so much money for a kicker. And they're like, done. Get so it, get that's it exciting. Done. It's exciting. Yeah, there is, there exciting, is a kicker yeah. in the portal and he has ties. Is that the only kicker in the portal? I don't, it's the only one no, I've I seen. I, I don't know if it's the only one. I've, yeah, to, we don't have access to like. No, unfortunately, I'm sure there I'm are. Not, I'm not going to Twitter search every single kicker. Correct. To see if they're. I'm sure there are, but the fact that you're talking about a local kid and Kansas does have a need there, like that would almost just make it would just no, make yeah, too much this, sense. This right? one does make a lot of sense. All right, so uh, we're going to talk some KU basketball here to open things up. Outside of that, though, we do have some KU audio. We'll get to you in the five o'clock hour. Bill Self and Dewan Harris spoke with the media, the KU media veil earlier. Um, but one clip we have 
from Bill Self is in regards to this being their first true road game. And, and this is something that is is always of interest for every team. So I actually want to take kind of a deep dive into the past decade or so of KU teams under Bill Self and how they've done in the first road game and what that has meant for the season to see if we can find any themes or results as a part of that. Um, let's hear from Bill Self first. This is just a part of what he had to say at MediaVale earlier today kind of about the team's first true road game and how this one definitely it is tough because of the fact that you're going straight from no true road games to all of a sudden playing a team who is going to make a ruckus environment and it's going to be you know all sorts of vitriol and venoms uh, coming at you from Missouri as opposed to having maybe a, a warm-up road game before you get to play it. I think uh, uh, what happens a lot is we think that we're pretty cool until you actually play with live bullets uh, uh, and and you know so you go to the garden yeah that's a away game no that wasn't an away game or, or you go to uh, cons- uh, uh, to Indy I, I forgot where we played because I wasn't at the game so 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 but you, you, you go to Indy and and those aren't live bullets you go to the Bahamas, even though it's a neutral site game, there's 50% of the people are still, or more, are still, you know, cheering for you. This is their first taste of what it's like to play a true, true road game. And if you're going to play a true road game, sometimes it's better to kind of ease into that. Like last year, our first true road game, if I'm not mistaken, was at St. John's. Even though it wasn't a true road game, it was a, a home crowd for them. and that's the, So you're kind of able to ease into it. Uh, because they played uh, in a neutral site that was off campus, if I'm not mistaken. So, so this is different. This is like going right into the, the hornet's nest and, and, and uh, uh, you know, getting able to, to experience that right off the bat. So it will be different. I, 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 in a perfect world, I would say, be nice kind of ease into these situations, but, you know, that's not the way the schedule is set up. No, it is not. At Missouri for your first two-road game is tough. So let's let's go into this. Over the past decade or so, which I think this works out cleanly because it gives us 10 years of evidence, and also if we just go back 10 years, it gives us the current state of the Big 12, which started in 2012-2013 to give us the way that KU would be scheduling around that and the current landscape for what Kansas is going in. So we'll start in that 2012-2013 season. KU's first true-road game, and when I say true road game, I'm not counting the games where it's, you know, on a neutral site or yeah. let's say hypothetically you I, – I did actually count because, like the one last year, St. John's, he, he referenced. Because um, I don't know if you remember, but we – or I brought this up when KU played NC State in the Bahamas, which was NC State had played eight games and all eight of them had been in Raleigh. So it wasn't a road – it wasn't like a true road game, but it was their first time not playing at home, basically. Mm-hmm. But this – so this is like actual road. road games, like yeah. actually on the road. December 22nd in 2012, 2013, they played at Ohio State. That was their first road game, and they won 74 to 66. That team ended up going 31 and 6. They won the Big 12. They got a one seed, and they made it to the Sweet 16. 2013, 2014, your first road game was December 7th at Colorado. Remember, that was a very young team, the Wiggins year. You lost 75 72. If I remember right, Colorado hit like a half court shot at the buzzer to win that game. Huh. Um, that season. Finished 25-10, and 10, won the Big 12, two seed, made it to the second round. But you lost. 2014-2015, you 
Your first true road game was December 10th at Georgetown. You won 75 to 70. I remember this being like the Brandon Green game. He came off off the bench. I want to say he had like 18 points, something around there. Uh, they went 27 to nine that year. Won the Big 12. Got a two seed, second round of the NCAA tournament. 2015-2016, first true road game, December 22nd at San Diego State. They won 70 to 57. Got revenge on San Diego State, who beat them a couple years prior. That KU team. Ended up going 33-5. and five. They won the Big 12, got a one seed, and made it to the Elite Eight. Very next season, first true road game was at UNLV, weirdly enough. I barely remember this one. Yeah, I don't remember this one at all. Uh, December 22nd, they won 71-53. to 53. That team went 31-5, and five, won the Big 12, got a one seed, and made it to the Elite Eight for back-to-back seasons. Then you go to 2017-2018, December 16th, you played at Nebraska. You won 73-72. That was a close game. That was a game where... I think you were like down a point or maybe two. And I don't know. Maybe it was they were up 72-70 and then Svee hit a corner three to give you the lead back. And then I think you had to make a stop at the end and, and you came out with the victory. Uh, but that was a close one. You ended up winning. You went 31-8 and eight that year. Won the Big 12. Got a one seed and made it to the Final Four. 2018-2019. December 22nd at Arizona State. This, that, is, this is one of the Allen. Oh, actually, no. That was the no, ne- the, the, next the year, year before was the year they lost at home to. That was the year I was at that game. Which Part goes of your, back to the Nick Springer curse, yeah, the Allen Fieldhouse curse. Well, the next year they couldn't get revenge. That was the uh, Diedrich Lawson team. By this point, Udoka Azubuki was hurt, and they kind of they they had too many turnovers late in the game. Ended up losing eighty to seventy six. That team went twenty six and ten. Finished third in the Big Twelve. Got a four seed. Made the second round. 2019-20, your first true road game, December 21st at Villanova. You lost 59-55. That team ended up okay, though. 28-3, first in the Big 12, got the one seed. Unfortunately, no NCAA tournament. Pain. 2020-2021, your first true road game was actually a Big 12 game. That's because this is the COVID year. So scheduling was all out of sorts. You played at Texas Tech on December 17th. You won 58-57. I, like, don't remember this game at all, um, despite you I, I remember it. You do? Vaguely. Yeah, vaguely. I don't at all. I just uh, remember it being a really ugly game. Oh, you know what? Was this the game where they like they I think they were down with like seven seconds left and they threw an inbound pass to somebody and it was like intended for somebody maybe on the lob or something, and it got through them and it accidentally got to somebody else behind them, like maybe Marcus Garrett, and they hit a shot. Uh, I, I remember something maybe. like this happening. I just remember me wanting to stab my eyes out watching the game because <laughs> 50 it was 57. so bad. Yeah. That team ended up 21-9, second in the Big 12, got a three seed, made the second round of the tournament. And then last season, their first road game, I, I guess this one, if you didn't want to, you don't have to count it as their first road game. I did at St. John's. You won 95 to— uh, Why would you not count it? Well, so technically it wasn't played at their on-campus arena. So they have they have they, it's weird. St. John's has like two arenas technically. They have okay. like an on campus one and then they have an off campus one, which is I forget the name of the arena. Like who plays there? What it's for? Um, but it's like a, it's like a it, it's like the equivalent almost of when Kansas plays at the Sprint Center, but maybe like not. It's still like a lot closer though. Yes. So so it's like that where it's like it's a semi home game, but from Kansas perspective, you're flying all the way out to New York, and it's mostly St. John's fans. So I, I guess I can, that team obviously won the national. I title think it's last fair year, to count it as a road game. I, I think, I think it is. Yeah. I think it's even less than the the Sprint Center. I think yeah. it's even less of that. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's a lot of data to throw at you. Um, didn't expect you to write notes or anything on that. So let me just <laughs> summarize it for you. That means over the last decade they went seven and three. In their first road game. That's pretty good. And 
of the three losses, one of the teams, which was the case for the 2019-20 team that lost to Villanova, that team wound up being outstanding, best team in the country, while the other two were kind of mid. You had uh, the other losses coming in the Colorado game, where that team was just young, wasn't good enough yet, and the other loss at Arizona State, and that team ended up being one of the, I don't know, less sparkling Kansas teams of, of the Bill Self era. So it's hard to say, oh, well, clearly the, the teams that have lost in their, their first road game, they're this or that, because you have literally completely ends of the spectrum. You have a team that was the best team in the country. You have a team who was a two seed, and you have a team that was a four seed. I, you can't really have strong takeaways there. Uh, what about this trend, though? All of the Kansas teams that failed to make it out of the first weekend since 2013, so the 2013 NCAA tournament on, that gives us 10 NCAA tournaments, of all of them that did not make it out of the first weekend, they either lost their first true road game or they won by five or less. Does that do anything for you? Uh, Except the 2019-2020. Kind of, I guess, but also like, it's one of those situations where your first true road game, I mean, think about this. The latest of, of these past 10 years, the latest game was December 22nd. So you still have over two and a half months of games before you get to the NCAA tournament. So it's like you would think that a loss in December on the in your first true road game would be a learning experience or a game that wouldn't heavily affect you that length of time down to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Which maybe, I mean, you know, maybe it, maybe it's not so much of like that loss affects you, affected the team as much as it's like, oh, here's a, an early indicator of what could happen in the future. Yeah, I mean, there's another trend here, except for that 1920 team, like all of the other KU teams that finished with six or less losses, which would mean you won 30 games most likely and uh, were a great team, won by eight or more points. Um, but again, I... It's so what, hard what is because, interesting is like when you look at all these teams, I mean, these are all pretty tough opponents. Like besides like UNLV, the rest but that's of these, the thing, it is still such a varying degree of difficulty. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Right. Like the difference between winning at Nebraska is a lot different than having to win at Ohio State. And I think for this season particularly, this game against Missouri, like Missouri might not even might even might not even be a tournament team. I don't think they were projected to be a preseason, right? So obviously they're off to a good start. And it's a huge rivalry game. So if Kansas loses this game, is that does that automatically mean they're going to be a team that's going to struggle the rest of the season? I don't think so because it's a rivalry game as your first road game against a Missouri team that is obviously going to be fired up, right? I mean, can you like I guess can you compare a first road game of the season against Missouri to a first road game of the season against Arizona State or Villanova? Mm. Can you? In terms of environment, I think you probably. I mean, it's not going to be as crazy as this, but also exactly. like Villanova is better than this Missouri. So I I don't know. I, I think it's, it's oh, you're right. It's a little apples and oranges. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think to that standpoint, like if to the idea of, oh, all those teams that had six losses or less won their first road game by eight I mean, or more. It's, it's basically just like, you know, testing your medal early in the season. Yeah. Like I, I'm not going to, if Kansas wins by five at Missouri, I don't think we're going to come in here on Monday and be like, well, well four sorry. seed, see you in the round of 32. Yeah. They're done. Nothing we can do about it. Pack it it in. So I I think the bigger picture here is there's not much correlation to, A, 
figuring out which teams are going to fare best in their first road game. Like, that's part of it, too, because it's not just that, hey, the first road game doesn't always indicate how the season's going to go. It's also that how the season or how good that team is doesn't indicate this either. Like, again, perfect example. I, I, you the Villanova could, game. Well, like the 2014-15 team. That team was kind of an unremarkable two-seed. They won on the road against Georgetown. You have... Uh, Which, at the time, you Georgetown, I think, was probably in a better situation than they are now. Yeah, you have the the win at Texas Tech, which would be about as good as any of the wins on this list, and that team lost in the second round. So um, I don't think there's a lot you can take from that. And then, B, I don't think you can take much about how successful Kansas is or is not after that game. I think it's more of just a cool test that, like you said, it's it's another data point almost. It's it's something that you can use in, as, as an indicator for the, those other things. So, I mean, if you want, you could probably go through all of these individually and really get into like how impressive or frustrating the game was and yep. really wound up being a signal for that team. Like uh, we go to the the 2013-14 game in Colorado, a game that, yeah, you lose on a buzzer beater, but it felt like you made too many mistakes late with a young team, and, and that ended up being something that, that hurt that team that year. Uh, you look to the, I don't know, the, the dominant win in San Diego State, and that team ended up just being kind of that, like they were quietly dominant, and that was the case in that game. Um, you look at the tight win at Nebraska in 2017-18, where it was like, yeah, this team has some flaws, but they're going to be able to hit big shots for you, and and that was an indicator in that regard. Uh, the game at Arizona State, I guess, was a bit of an indicator that you had some problems there. Um, the game at Texas Tech maybe showed some of your offensive flaws, that you didn't have all that, all that athleticism. And then the game against St. John's, you can say, well, we were really able to open up and, and show out our transition play. So I, I think more than anything, it just shows traits of a team, but there really is no drawing conclusion. To me, this is kind of like if you were to go back and find a way to calculate the number of times Bill Self calls his team soft before January <laughs> of every year. Like, is there a correlation between X number of times he's called them soft versus whatever? In terms of how they end up, right? Yeah. Kind of in that same vein, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, like, if, if you get called soft 100 times before January, <laughs> are you a bad team? That should be a thing. They should have a, a, like a, a counter, check, you know, and that determines how good the team is going to be. I don't know if it'd go one way or another. Like, do you need to, does he I need to call you, them soft more so that they get motivated by yeah. it? Yeah. See, that's, that's, what I'm, right? that's what I'm curious about is, is what's the correlation between being called soft and being successful? Yeah. Is it the less you're called soft, the better you are, or is it vice versa? Mm. Maybe we'll have that deep dive on tomorrow's show. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us in less than 20 minutes. This is RCST. That time on a Thursday, we are joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kansas takes on Missouri on Saturday. Kind of a weird tip time, 4 15. Pre-game 2.45 here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 KISS. Uh, last season, I believe, uh, the first Kansas-Mizzou game that, that you got to call, I guess technically the exhibition game that occurred a handful of years ago as the voice of the Jayhawks. Um, but obviously you've, you've been in this chair here. You've you know went to the University of Kansas. You've, you've been around the program for other Kansas-Missouri games or memories. Do you have a favorite Kansas-Missouri game or memory, whether it's something – that happened personally or, you know, that, that happened with, uh, on, on the field or on the court? Wow. Great question. You know, my senior year at KU, which was 2002, I got to call KU Mizzou 
in Allen Fieldhouse for like my final call on KJHK, which I know you can relate to and Nick can relate to. Those are a big deal when you get to call, you know, the, the rivalry game on your senior day, essentially. And I'll, I'll never forget Arthur Johnson was the big man from the zoo at the time. And he jumped up to dunk it and got stuck uh, on the slam. We, we used to call it getting hung on the rim when you, when you couldn't quite get your wrist above the iron to throw it down and basically get blocked by the rim. And he fell backwards, 280 pounds, just fell straight back and, and landed in the blue paint at Allen Fieldhouse. And the crowd roared and loved it. And I'll never forget that moment. And that same night, they had brought in thunder sticks, I think for the first time, which were those inflatable bang them together, you know, thunder noisemakers in Allen Fieldhouse. And it was already a raucous atmosphere anytime Kansas and Mizzou got together. But that made it especially loud. Obviously, we all remember T-Rob's block back in, in 2012 and how special that was in their final trip to the Fieldhouse as a conference foe. And I was one of those guys for a long time, always contended that the loudest I'd ever heard Allen Fieldhouse was after Jock Vaughn's three versus Indiana. Another timely reference with the Hoosiers yeah. coming to town next week. And and many have said since then that, you know, KU Mizzou, the big comeback, the block by T-Rob, that's the loudest. It's hard to compare the two because they were separated by a couple of decades, but uh, most definitely those are my two favorite moments for crowd noise in the fog, uh, 2012 and then Jock Vaughn's shot versus Indiana. But uh, personal moment, getting to be on the call for that that big moment when we beat Mizzou and Arthur Johnson got blocked on the rim. I guess I remember that so vividly because it was on our end of the floor. They always stick the KJHK kids on like the very far end, and, and it was right there in front of us. And so I, I remember my call with that one. But I'll tell you what, you referenced the showdown for relief that we had at what was then the Sprint Center at the time. And I'll never forget, I don't think Dana minds me telling this, but Dana Anderson, one of our most beloved donors, he was sitting right next to us in the floor seats. And if you had any worry about whether or not that game meant something to us as announcers, us as fans, whatever, I mean, we were so fired up in that back-and-forth game. It proved to be, I think, Billy Preston's only game Mm -hmm. with us. And Dana popped up from his floor seats, and he was waving his arms in the air, getting the Kansas section fired up. And <laughs> I just love the passion because this game was supposed to be just for charity. It was supposed to just be an exhibition game. But it was high-level basketball. Michael Porter was out there. I mean, this was, this was exciting stuff going back and forth. And by golly, not knowing when we were ever going to play him again, we didn't want to lose that day. And and that was one of the more exciting calls early in my tenure as voice of the Jayhawks. And it was just an exhibition game. But, man, it was fun. And it meant something to everybody in the building. So if, if that doesn't give you an indication of, of how much this game means to people that grew up around it and understand the venom and the intensity and the passion on both sides of this rivalry, I'm not sure what will because that game wasn't supposed to mean anything. And yet for anybody who was one of the 18,000 on that day, it meant everything. And nobody wanted to go home a loser on that day. Thank goodness we did. Who gives you more Kansas, Missouri stories, uh, David Lawrence or Greg Gurley? Oh, definitely David, because he was so close to fans. Yeah. And, you know, we used to have Coach Fanbro come in to the KLWN studios where you're sitting right now, and we'd just turn him loose for an hour. We did it in the summertime for, for six straight weeks, and we called it the Fam Files. And, <laughs> and he just unpacked all his great stories. And, and every episode had something about Missouri. 
and he would get his gravelly voice and he'd say, boys, it's not a robbery, it's a war. And he would just look in the eye and his, and his jowls would kind of shake as he said it. And you couldn't help but be fired up and want to run through a wall for that guy when he talked about it that way. But, you know, as great as Sam was in hyping the rivalry, so too was Norm Stewart on the Missouri side. You know, Bill Self quoted that today in his press conference, talking about how Coach Stewart would always say he'd never spend a dime in this state, make gas up on the other side of state line before they came across into Kansas territory. And, you know, say what you want to say about anybody involved on either side. It's having personalities like that and, and a love for this tradition kansas versus mizzou that made it so special that made it so much fun when the fans in the fog would chant sit down norm sit down norm and then they gave him a rocking yeah. chair for his retirement you know how fitting was that so listen i know there's a lot of venom and there's there's a lot of uh you know sometimes fans can make it ugly you know with their comments and the, the way they trash talk the players or folks involved i get that but when it just comes to the sheer history and the passion and the level of competitiveness, the competitiveness between these two teams, I mean, this is as good as it gets. And I think Coach Self did a good job of explaining it today, you know, without trying to take anything away from the KUK State rivalry. Hey, the Dylan Sunflower Showdown is a ton of fun, but if you look at it historically, this rivalry with Mizzou, for so many reasons, is the bigger rivalry. And, and a big part of it, I think, is the level of competitiveness. The fact that even though we have an 80-game edge in the all-time series in basketball, you know there was a lot of good back and forth in, in some of the glory years, modern era of this rivalry, whether it was Norm and, and, and Coach Williams or Quinn Snyder and Coach Williams, Larry Brown and Norm Stewart. I mean, there were a lot of good back and forth, intense battles, whereas with football and basketball in the case that KU side, it's been pretty heavily slanted one way or the other with them dominating for the last decade and a half in football and for a good stretch before that prior to Mangino and then us obviously dominating you know for, for all of time basically but really the last you know 30 years in particular and so that makes it tough to have a great great rivalry when in the two most prominent sports it's so predictable each year but with Mizzou, it was never quite that predictable. And the level of competitiveness made it exciting. Uh, and then obviously when you add in historical ramifications that predate basketball by a long shot and predate both schools' existence by a long shot, going back to Quantrill's raid and all that, you understand you know, the, the, the intensity of, of why Kansas and Missouri is, is a thing. But I always used to say, you know, this oldest rivalry west of Mississippi and, and next to Duke, Carolina, and Ohio State, Michigan, when we were playing them, every year in conference play, this is one of the top three or four rivalries in all of college sports. It can't be that anymore because, you know, you're playing them in a, a non-conference setting that has no implication toward a conference crown. And I guess it has postseason implications in terms of your resume, probably more so for them than for us. But it doesn't have the same teeth to it when you're not playing them twice a year with a conference title on the line and that kind of thing. But it's still, in terms of passion and intensity, and let's just call it like it is, venom. And as Bill Self said, he used the hatred word. Not that he hates Mizzou, but the, the hate that he feels you know, back and forth between the two sides. In terms of those factors... It's as good as you'll find, and even though a generation has kind of missed out on that, and you know, for for kids that have kind of come of age in the last ten years, they have to be educated on why there is such venom. Uh, even with that being said, it's still as passionate as you'll find, and I think we'll experience that firsthand as soon as we set foot inside Missoula Arena on Saturday. 
from a play-by-play perspective outside of just all those stakes of the rivalry is this one that you're extra excited for just from the standpoint of both teams being offensive squads that can really get up and down and transition really run and gun Missouri averaging over nine 90 points per game I, I guess just from that standpoint this should be a pretty entertaining game yeah yeah absolutely they, they play great defense leading the nation in steals and forced turnovers and yeah I don't know what to make of their points per game with, with the 90 point plus average six guys in double figures when a lot of those points are coming against Lindenwood and SEMO and Houston Christian and schools like that. But they did win in Coke Arena versus Wichita State. That's a tough place to go get a win. I know the Shockers are only 4-4, four and four, but that's a big 88-84 win. We'll see what it looks like against Kansas. We'll obviously be a tougher team, you would think, to turn over and get points in transition off turnovers because Kansas with the Juan Harris and company, I'd like to think are better ball handlers than what they face by and large. That's what's so tough to forecast with this game. And it's not to take anything away from their nine or no start. Believe me, I'm not looking to give bulletin board material here, but they really haven't played the caliber of competition that gives you a true indicator of how good they're going to be. We know they're vastly improved at multiple spots. Personnel-wise, this will be a better team than what we faced last year, and Coach Gates is doing a great job in his first season. But, you know, we really haven't seen a true litmus test of what it's going to look like in SEC play week in and week out and what it's going to look like when you take on elite-level talent like they'll face in the next few weeks with both Kansas and Kentucky. So I think for the Jayhawks fans, we're intrigued to see how our team handles not just a true road environment but an elite road environment where – you know, when it's Kansas week, man, they show up in droves, they'll be sold out, they'll be out for blood, and that, that's going to be a raucous, tough atmosphere. And from a Missouri fan standpoint, you just want to see what do we look like against a real team. And, and they'll find that out in a hurry this week and then soon versus Kentucky, too. So I'm excited about it. Um, yes, from a play-by-play standpoint, pace of play, the athleticism, the harassing defensive style on both sides would be fun to call. But more than anything, just the the energy and the juice in the building is going to be a blast. So I was always a guy, even though it wasn't a popular opinion, I would have started scheduling them in year two of their departure because I grew up in the intensity of this rivalry and loved it. And so even though a lot of folks, it's taken them 10 years plus, and in some cases they still don't want us to schedule Mizzou, they still don't want to do anything that would help them after Mizzou left our conference, but I think as we get around it a little bit more, for those of us that lived it before, you find out how much we missed it. And Coach Self said it. I mean, it really does feel different than KUK State. And that's not to take anything away from the Sunflower Showdown. It's, it's just kind of a different feel. There's a little more hatred and venom there amongst the fans. And, and that certainly makes for a high-energy, you know, incredible atmosphere type setting come Saturday afternoon. How much, how much do you think this extra time off for Kansas after that Thanksgiving stretch in the Bahamas and then Texas Southern and Seton Hall right after, how much do you think this sort of extended break before this Missouri game maybe has helped this team a little bit? Good question, Nick. Uh, let's see how practice goes today. You know, Coach was a little bit tardy to Hawk Talk last night because, as he said, practice ended early, but then they stayed late talking about why it ended early in the locker room. And he was, he was you know, talking to the guys pretty seriously about some stuff he wants to see smoothed out. 
Uh, so I, I think he would tell you that it's just been okay, but he'd like to have a really good practice today and a really good session tomorrow in Columbia and, and then you know feel like it was a great week. But there's no doubt with only four games uh, the rest of the month after they got Seton Hall out of the way on December the 1st, there will be more time to smooth out rough edges and, and practice through some of these things with a young team. And you know, right now defending ball screens is, is number one on the, the checklist for Bill Self to get his club – Shored up in, and then there's several other areas from there that are points of emphasis. But um, I think he'd tell you, Nick, it's, it's been a good week, but not a great one just yet. And yet, as we have this conversation today, they're hitting the floor as we speak. And hopefully today's a great day in practice, followed by another one tomorrow, and, and you feel really strong about your positioning heading in. But it was, a, it was a pretty busy stretch. I mean, it was ambitious to schedule the game right after the Bahamas on a Monday. Of course, you didn't know the travel uh, shenanigans they'd have to deal with in getting home, which made that an even quicker turnaround. But then you had a game three days later in the Big East Big 12 game, which was a semi-ambitious schedule as well. But then to have nine days in between, a lot of chance for self-reflection, no pun intended, uh, You know, to look at yourselves. And, and really, today is the day they go over scouting report and start putting in the plan for Missouri. They've been just working on their own stuff up until today, and so it would be interesting to see what that looks like as they take the floor Saturday. Dewan Harris is a Columbia native, and we got to speak to him at media availability earlier today, and he doesn't seem, uh, I don't know, maybe extra jacked up, or, or at least he's saying the right things about, you know, not necessarily viewing this as, hey, I can't believe Missouri didn't recruit me, and um, I'm going to try to get revenge, those little things. He's he's playing it cool, but I, I don't know if that actually is something that he thinks about. He is a very kind of calm, level-headed kid. Um, but how do you think that affects the game? That's That's got to be a nice little boon for Kansas, right, that you're talking about, uh, I mean, just to begin with, a veteran point guard in a tough road environment, which that certainly is helpful, but also the idea that, you know, sometimes when you have a younger team, you don't know with, with kids all over in, in different states, you don't know how seriously they're going to take a rivalry like this. Having a kid who's from Columbia, that has to help, right? It does. Uh, he certainly can warn his teammates about the lion's den they're walking into or the hornet's nest, as Bill Self called it. Um, He'll tell him about his former teammate, Isaiah Mosley, who's on this, this club and, and what he can garner from all of his familiarity with Isaiah. But I'm really curious to see how he handles it because I think if, if there's any one player that the Antlers, the, the fan group of, of Mizzou students that love to, to you know come at you, I, I think obviously they'll go after the Columbia kid that got away. And so uh, will he thrive off of that? Will he use that as fuel to his fire? Uh, does that get to him at all? I don't know. I, I think he's pretty mentally tough and has the intestinal fortitude to keep his focus on the floor and not in the stands. But no doubt they're going to be gunning for number three, and when I say gunning for him, I mean the fans are going to be targeting a lot of their jeers and taunts in his direction, and so hopefully he's that unflappable, cool customer that's elite in assist-to-turnover ratio, elite at handling pressure, both of the physical basketball variety and pressure from, from the folks in the stands, because I think he will be a spotlighted player, both by Missouri and how they want to attack and, and what they want to do with the pressure they bring, but also you know from the fans who, who want to really make fun of the fact that they, they didn't get this guy. And, you know, Ryan Roberts is going to be in attendance. He used to be a guy that Missouri fans were all over because the St. Charles native spurned Missouri to be a Jayhawk back in the Roy Williams era. He's going to be there. We're hopeful to get him on the network airways a little bit on Saturday, and he could probably offer some advice to Juan. But uh, that is definitely something to keep an eye on there. That's a 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Brian, appreciate the time. As always, looking forward to hearing you on the call. And uh, before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. That's right. Big friend of mine, Nate Miller. He can be a friend of yours, help you plan the most profitable and stable financial future with a great retirement game plan, just like Bill Self has got his game plan for Mizzou. Nate Miller's got one for you and your financial future. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com, based out of Lawrence. They help folks all across the state, but uh, they want to help you today, so check them out. Guys, always a pleasure. Can't wait to talk KU Indiana with you next week. Hopefully about a Jayhawk team that just extended their all-time uh, stretch of, of wins here versus Mizzou to 81-plus in, in the, the win column in what is a 175-95 to 95 all-time series. We'd love to stretch that margin out a little bit more. Let's see if we can get it done. Thanks, fellas, and have a great weekend. That was Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. KU Mailbag, next. Four o'clock hour. Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talks KU Mailbag. Kind of put an ownership on it for that one with why'd Nick you, Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. I'm Derek Johnson. I, uh... <laughs> you don't know? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we do have another KU Mailbag, so thank you to everybody who asked a question. And uh, if you have a question for next week's, you can uh, hit me up in the DM section or... Uh, hit us up anywhere. Anytime. Yeah, anywhere. Any place. Find us on the street. Ask a question. First one is from Ryan. Should we be worried that someone is going to offer Jalen Daniels a big sum of NIL cash to leave? It's definitely possible, but I don't... There's absolutely zero reason to be worried about it right now. I I don't... This should just... It should not even be at the front of your mind. I, I don't... I mean... Because, like, this is one of those things where it's like, if you spend too much brain power thinking about it, you're just going to psych yourself out and be like, oh, my God, everybody's going to leave. The whole team. <laughs> Somebody's going to come in and pay the whole team, and they're going to go be the, something else. Oh, oh. So it's just 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 relax. Yeah, I think There's that's no the best way to put it. Any player ever in the college exactly. landscape at this point you could, could leave it, yes. for another school for Insert money. Insert name here. So don't worry money. about it. It's it's like being like every day I walk outside, like, I'm this, worried that a plane's going to yeah, come this is crash like being, on me. It's like, this just is like don't worry about ger- it. This is like being a germaphobe. There's germs. Yes. yes. It's okay. Yes. Don't need to panic. Yeah. Everything's like, fine. I probably will get sick at some point. And, no and maybe it'll anybody kill me, who's a Listen, I listen. I'm as clean as the next guy. Wash my hands. Do all that stuff right. But the reality is there's germs everywhere. Yeah. It's all, it's all good. Nothing to worry about. So that, you're so right. That's the quote. I would say, you know, plus on top of that, with Lance's new contract, it's so obvious that KU is putting a lot of onus on NIL. Like, they're putting so much focus on it and an emphasis on it. So even if some other school did try to swoop in, I would hope and suspect and, and expect that KU and Lance Leipold would make a significant push of their own to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think when it's your quarterback, you do everything in your power to keep that guy around. And, and I've heard multiple different interviews, Jalen Daniels talking about how he his goal is to win a Big 12 title. That doesn't sound like somebody who's going to leave for somewhere else. 
he knows his importance. I'm sure the donors know his importance. He is probably going to be in for a nice NIL, uh, yeah, some payday, however you want to put it. Over so the off you know, season. step back from the ledge. Mm-hmm. KU's in a bowl game. Life is good. There's no need to get yourself worked up about yes. scenarios that probably aren't going to happen. Well, and again, like it's it's not impossible that a school like Alabama could be like, oh, Bryce Young left for the pros. Like, let's go for a guy like Jalen Anderson. You, when you get down that, don't down, worry get, about that. If it yeah, happens, it happens. When you get down that rabbit hole, then it's like. Well, somebody could just give a, a bunch of NIL cash to Devin Neal, yes. to Kenny Logan, to yes. Monty Phelps, to insert player yes. here. So there's so many scenarios because of that. Oh, Don't worry slope. about it Yep. right just now. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Do some I yoga. Really wouldn't fine. be worried about it. Um, okay, this one <laughs> from Brett. What is the best Christmas dessert? Okay, when I was a kid, for me, it was just always chocolate chip cookies for Santa. Keep it simple. You bake, cookie, bake so cookies with my mom. So you ate cookies that... Were made for Santa. No, 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 no. That's kind of rude. No, 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 no. Not your no, cookies. No, 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 no. Hang on. You're stealing. Let me, let me say what I'm about to say. Bake cookies with my mom, you know. And when you bake cookies, you don't bake four cookies. You bake <laughs> right, right. a bunch of cookies. So we'd bake a bunch of chocolate cookies. I would eat some, and then we would leave out some for Santa. With I'm just milk. saying. He, I mean, he has a lot of houses to go to. He's he's a hungry man. He needs the every energy, other house so. is supposed to give him cookies too. He's fine. What if he crashed his sleigh and then in the report with the police he said, you know, I I needed two more cookies, but they weren't there. Dude, you get cookies from every house. Okay, <laughs> he needs a you lot. You can chill on the cookies. He needs a lot. He's a big man. I understand that, but I'm a grown. I was a grown boy. I want some cookies too. So I ate some cookies. And but again, we made like forty cookies mm. or however many cookies, and he got his share. Maybe for, he need more. For bring, deliver the present. Did you ask him? Did you ask him any? I never met the okay, guy. Well, Actually, he turns problem. out he's a very elusive man. Okay, <laughs> I never saw him. <laughs> I, I'm a fan of. Plus, uh, he never even ate all the cookies. He, he only ate part of them. Okay, which later I learned. Spoiler alert, kids, cover yours. No, my no, parents yeah, did that. Yeah. My parents did that to make sure that they knew that I knew that Santa was real. They didn't eat all the cookies. Okay. They took bites so that it was like, oh look, he took a bite instead of eating all of them. Uh, I like gingerbread. Do you like gingerbread? I mean, it's a classic uh, yeah. this time of year. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I think it's kind of plain. It can be. That's why you got to have it like, like frosted, frosted yeah. different yeah. things on there. Yeah. Um, I actually am a fan of, of like the, the brittle at this time of year. Not Again, not my favorite. My number one, yeah. I, I have two. Well, I was, I was actually trying to think. I was trying to think, you know, obviously like Halloween and Thanksgiving is more like kind of pies, you know, things like that. And it's more treats, sauce and right? Yeah, like Christmas. Does Christmas really have like a true... Dessert category? No. no, it's not like a real dessert. It's more of things that you can just grab and yeah. it's like a That's handheld like, yeah, small yeah, yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really like two things mainly. But yeah, I'm, I'm game for all of it and, and everything that you can just quickly snack on and you're going to overeat. It's great. Yeah. Um, I like peanut butter balls, which we've never had those. Okay. Fantastic. Um, basically peanut butter with Rice Krispies in them and covered in chocolate, kind of frozen cold. And then uh, I don't know what these are called. I My mom makes them. They're... You, so you have like nutter butters, okay, and you basically they co- get covered in white chocolate, and then they make like, so like they make a little snowman out of it. So like, you can add like oh okay, you know, faces yeah, yeah, yeah. or pretzel yeah, yeah, yeah. arms or chocolate gonna... chip buttons. My initial thought was like you were saying like homemade lady fingers. No, that'd probably be good too. But you're saying like no, yeah. I know what you mean. So like nutter that, butters, co- yeah, it's very good. good. Yeah, very they good. sound good. Yeah, those are those are my favorite. Uh, this one from Todd. Do you have a favorite muck fazoo story or memory? He did actually write it like that, so I appreciate him not <laughs> trying to Ron Burgundy us. Oh, yeah, that is true. You would have caught it, though, I think. You are pretty close. <laughs> I hope so. So I have, I had two thoughts here. First off, when I was nine, you know, NCAA football 07, load that up, 
get Kansas with Todd Reesing, play Missouri, set it to freshman mode, and just beat them 150 to zero. I could do that all day when I was nine years old. But then this, and this is not a memory of mine, but a story that was told to me. And you may be familiar with this, Derek. But in 2006, KU baseball won the Big 12 championship tournament uh, at the big, at the Big 12 championship in Oklahoma City. It was a big deal. And en route to winning that tournament, they actually beat Nebraska in the championship game. But the game before that, to get to the championship, they played Missouri. And depending on who you ask, the story changes a little bit. But basically, Ryan Price, who was the son of head coach Rich Price, hit a home run against Missouri and was rounding the bases. And allegedly, the Missouri third baseman either stepped on the bag and wouldn't allow Ryan Price to step on third base or stood in his way or something to that which led to Ryan Price kind of like basically running him over is how the story goes or he like shoulder checks him basically and an all-out brawl ensues obviously so it's kind of a funny story of like again actually I was reading actually I went back and read the the LJ world I went back and read the LJ world and the LJ world said quote that Price dipped his shoulder into the Missouri third baseman so interpret okay. that as however you would like terminology to, however you would like to interpret it but obviously it was a benches clearing benches clearing brawl massive fight broke out craziness ensued Kansas ended up winning the game and they go to the Big 12 championship and win the Big 12 championship so that, that's kind of a again that's not a memory of mine specifically but just kind of a cool different story of of the, of the rivalry I like that so I, I did not grow up around the rivalry I uh actually was between go to KU and Missouri for college and Oof. chose correctly um I, I just love hearing from some some people who have been around the history of the pro. Like hearing about the nineteen sixty one fight from Kansas and Missouri. And have you ever seen this? I don't think I've ever. Seen okay, it, I'll, no. I'll show you the video for it uh, in between the break. But like, if you don't know about it, you need to look this up. There was a, a big fight on the basketball court in nineteen sixty one between Kansas and Missouri. Um, that in its own is crazy. Hearing some of the stories about you know Missouri fans like throwing cups with. You know, basically pee in them, like all, all, at the players and stuff. You just hear the vitriol and everything. And um, I, I guess for me, honestly, my personal favorite is. So I was, uh, I was the the play by play guy for the Kansas volleyball team the season that they made it to the Final Four, which would have been 2015. And that year, in the second round of the NCAA tournament, they got to play Missouri, and the winner went to the Sweet 16. And I think Kansas was down. He's like. I don't know, 24-19, 24-20 in the set, which if you don't know the volleyball rules, it's, uh, you know, you go to 25 and you got to win by two. It was like 23-19, 24-20, something like that, where it was it was looking stark on Kansas to win that set. They were still up 2-0 or, or 2-1 in the game. Um, and then they just went on this crazy run, came back, scored like five or six straight points, ended up winning and going to the Sweet 16, eventually going to the Final Four that season. That was a lot of fun. Um, last year, though, I mean, that was super fun to, to watch and, and enjoy. Seeing them just, oh, just, yeah, just get blow destroyed. the brakes yeah. off of Missouri. Yeah, Christian Brown goes off at the beginning. Um, but, yeah, I, I wasn't around for a lot of the, the earlier ones. So I don't have maybe uh, as fun of them. But, yeah, those, those are the ones that stick out. Uh, this one from Jake. Cam Martin over under four and a half points per game this season. Uh, I would lean under, but I think it's very possible that he could potentially get that. When you consider, you know, if he kind of settles in during conference play and none of the other bigs really do anything to warrant them getting more playing time. You know, if if Zuby and 
Ernest Uday and Zach Clements all kind of continue to flounder and continue to struggle and never really establish themselves. And Cam Martin kind of settles in as sort of a veteran guy that can play a little bit in the post, then maybe there's a path there. But honestly, I think really the biggest issue is going to be I don't know that he's going to get enough consistent playing time to score, to average that many points per game. You know what I mean? If he, I mean, if he's playing, if he's only playing 15 minutes per game, that's going to be really tough to average that many points per game playing that little amount of time. Yeah, it is. that. So if you if you guaranteed me he's one of your top two centers, I think I would take the over. If you told me he was going to end up being the starting center, of course I would take the over. Um, but like, for instance, last but like, season. Even if he's the starting center, is he going to score that much? We don't know. Well, that's certainly. I mean, KJ is getting seven a game. And I would think that if he was the starter over KJ, like Cam Martin probably has more to his offensive game than, than KJ Adams. Uh, Ernest Uday right now, who's the backup, he's playing 10 minutes a game. He's getting 3.1 points per game. Now, Cam Martin is going to be a more complete offensive player than Ernest Uday, but that does not make you think that it's automatic. Mitch Lightfoot last season, he played 12 minutes a game. He shot 66% from the floor. He was just automatic with the right-handed hook. He averaged 4.6 points per game, which would be right around this line. Pretty so close, I, th- yeah. I think the safe bet is to go under, and it's not necessarily that he can't be an impactful player. It's just that, again, like Uday is your first center off the bench. He's only getting three. Mitch Lightfoot was that last year. He was only getting basically right above that 4.5. But this basically comes down to what you think Cam Martin will be for this team. Will it be one of the first top two centers, or will it be a guy who is used in sporadic parts in a specific role? Yeah, that's where I think I just – I don't know that he's going to get enough consistent playing time unless unless he does come in and supplant KJ Adams and is like the number one center. The one thing that's going his way is that none of the other centers can really create a shot. Um, I guess I don't know. Create a shot might not be the right terminology, but like with Uday, like, weren't used post office. Yeah, Uday and Zubiaj for like they're guys that can catch lobs or, or throw down a dunk off a pick and roll. Uh, but they're not, yeah, creating a shot in the post or they're not going to yeah. be able to hit a jump shot for you. Yeah. With Zach Clements, ideally he can hit a jump shot for you on a pick we and pop. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't this seen season. it. He's 0 for 11. He's 0 for 9 from 3. So from that standpoint, Kim Martin is different than those other guys in that we, I mean, based on what we saw from D2. Yeah, we assume he could he be a good three point shooter. Things. Yes. We assume he could be a guy Score a little bit in the post with some yeah. offensive game. Yeah. So from that we, standpoint, we don't, we don't really know. If he's your one center that can do those things, that probably would make him one of the top two centers on the team. And if that happens, then this could very easily happen. But again, Mitch Lightfoot, who was great at it last year, 12 minutes per game, which would probably be around what the role would be if he was the, the, the first center off the bench. Yep. I still probably lean under, but I don't think it's it's that crazy if it's over either. Uh, this one from Jeff. Why should I listen, listen to a show where one of the hosts hasn't seen Star Wars? Okay. Look here, Jeff. All right. Is this the question you were referring yes. to earlier? Okay. Yes. What are we? What? Are, why, why are we just taking shots at people? <laughs> what, what? What's up? What are we doing? What, what? What? This is just uncalled for. I mean, you have to answer this. You have to defend the show. This is about you. Well, why you should listen to the show is you've got Derek and myself, two great guys, giving you great quality KU content. And yeah, we have our flaws. Okay, nobody's perfect. All right. If you're looking for the perfect show, sorry, you're out of luck. Ain't out there. Okay, so guess what? Either get in line mm-hmm. or go look for your perfect fairy tale show. Well, I want to know if Jeff has played the Lego Star Wars series. That see exactly because if he hasn't, then that's a, I, we got beef then. Okay, play Lego Star Wars first, <laughs> then come talk to me because that is awesome. I love it. That was so much fun. Uh, last one from Larry. 
What do you think the over-under for wins next season will be? I, I assume this is football. This is an interesting question. I think, okay, here's what I suspect. I think it is going to be l- quite a bit lower than what KU fans are expecting or hoping it's going to be. That is what I think. So I think if you're an optimistic KU fan, you're probably thinking, oh, the whole team's back. Yeah, we're, you know, Lance Leipold's back. You know, we're, over-under wins is going to be like six and a half, seven wins. And then it's going to be like four and a half. Mm. So that's I don't what think I think. It'll be that low. You don't think so? I'm I just could, telling. I think uh, it's going to be lower than what KU fans think it's going to be. I would not be surprised if Vegas did put it at like five and a half. Um, so I guess that's not that different than what you're saying. Uh, but I, I, I'm kind of thinking somewhere between five and a half, six and a half. And I think. Well, and also obviously it'll depend on what happens with Arkansas. If they yes. beat Arkansas or if they yeah. blow them out even or something like that, then it will probably be higher. Well, so here's the schedule. We don't we don't know the when they play everyone in the conference part of the schedule. What we know, well, I guess no, we don't know who they play in the conference part of the schedule because you're adding new teams. You're adding Houston, so that's and part of it UCF too. UCF and BYU. Yeah, we don't know which schools Kansas is going to play, and and even in the case of like nor in normal years, you would be like, well, well we, let's know, see we know they're going to play Houston, or we assume. Yeah, yeah. Well, in normal years, you would be like, well, let's see if they can avoid Oklahoma on the schedule this year. But yeah. I don't know. Is that that big of a deal if they avoid well, them this year, right? Well, and also, six six. it doesn't that doesn't matter because in it that argument didn't matter in the past because there was only ten teams they played everybody. No, that's what I'm saying. So like you're gonna you're gonna not play what three of the teams in the Big Twelve this year. So in in so uh, wait okay yeah. next year so we're gonna have a year with the new teams plus Oklahoma and Texas still. Yeah, that so there would be fourteen schools in. So that means there's there would be four schools that you don't end up playing on the schedule, right? So, like, normally you would say in a, in a situation like that where there's going to be four schools you don't have on the schedule, you'd be like, well, hopefully we don't play this team this year. But I don't know that there is that team in the Big 12. Like, everybody is just so – like, even TCU, yeah. they'll probably lose a and lot of players and be like 7-5 and, and, and obviously year, you know? all the teams coming in are pretty solid, right? Yeah, like, yeah. UCF is a solid, a really good team. Cincinnati's really good. Now, we'll see what Cincinnati does without Luke Fickle now. Right. But, well, like, clearly you want West Virginia and Iowa State to be on the schedule. Correct. But again, like, is, are you going to be that worried if Oklahoma's on the schedule? You know what I mean? No, As I opposed mean, to Cincinnati. You might, like it's that, you might lose. Of but. course. But is it that big of a difference between OU and, and Cincinnati or, or whatever? I guess not. But so, here's hey, the oh, non- no, An OU fan might get really upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they went 6-6. Six six well, we're way better than Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, here's the non-con. Missouri State should be a win. W. Right? I don't know. Missouri State's a pretty good FCS school. They are, but I mean, with where Missouri Kansas State almost that, beat Arkansas. You cannot. I know. That's true. Oh, Bobby Petrino. What have they done? Um, they have Illinois week two. The the curse oh, continues boy. with Kansas scheduling teams and then them getting and then good. Them being really this good, is like yeah, with <laughs> Coastal dude, Carolina. Illinois right? four years ago was like two and, and ten this year. Yeah, so that's a toss up. And then you have at Nevada, who was horrible this year. Yep, yep. Nevada's really. So you bad. should at least go two and one there if you can get to three and zero. Oh, I don't know. I, I think the over under yeah it'll be set five and a half, six and a half. But I think if all goes right for you. You could see a step up next year to where you win eight or nine games. Okay, well, don't don't come at me when it's four and a half. I'm don't just saying I'll, I'll take the over if that's the case. Okay. Well, I'm just saying people need to be not mad when that happens. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's our KU mailbag. Jeff, thanks for listening. <laughs> we have a uh, uh, segment kind of looking back to some of the past bowl games in a second. Before we go to timeout, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, covered patio, has you covered, located right off I-70 with five minutes from downtown Lawrence. This is RCST.
We got some Bill Self audio, Dewan Harris audio we'll share for you in the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. So uh, as we talked earlier in the show, we are 12 shows away, if you include today's show, from the KU Bowl game. Obviously more days than that, but off days with weekends and holidays. Um, and Kansas has played in... We don't have a show every single day? No, sadly, right? We should, 365. No, 24-7. days. You can do that if you want. <laughs> um, Kansas has played in 12 bowl games before this year, so this will be their 13th. So I, I wanted to kind of go back and, and get a look at that past Kansas football bowl history and and spend... Yeah, so it's uh, like the 12 days of Christmas except the 12 exactly. days of KU Bowl. Yes. So let's dive into the very first one that KU ever played in. They had some great seasons, man, in the early 1900s, went undefeated. I don't know if they had bowls at the time or just not bowl tie-ins for <laughs> Kansas, but uh, 1948 Orange Bowl was the first bowl game Kansas ever played in. Pretty cool their first bowl was the Orange Bowl. But I guess at that the time, cool. like if you made a bowl game, it was one of those big bowls. That's like all they had. Oh, yeah, that know? makes sense. You're telling me they didn't have the bad boy mowers? No, Gasparilla Bowl in 1948? Cheese it Bowl didn't exist. Cheese it Bowl. Uh, so how KU got there? 1948 Orange Bowl, it was from the 1947 season. Kansas shared the Big Six title. It was actually their second straight Big Six championship. They shared it that year with Oklahoma, and they went undefeated technically. Eight wins, no losses, two lo- or draws. They were led by head coach George Sauer, who was in his second season. How about this beautiful opener for Kansas? They took on TCU. Zero to zero tie. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't have to cover that. And here we are complaining about ties in, zero zero ties in soccer. And we had a 0-0 tie. Yeah, that's way worse. <laughs> At least soccer, you understand why it could be 0-0. Football, it's like, no, this doesn't make sense. Uh, then the defense kept it going. They had another shutout second straight week. They won 9 nothing at Denver, which at the time was Denver, playing football. Denver University? Yeah, they don't play football anymore. No. They only that's, won like five games that year. That's, um, that's sad. They won 27-7 over Iowa State. And then how about this one? 86-6 over South Dakota State. There we go. Now we're talking. That is the most points that Kansas at the time and still to this day has ever put up. Really? Yep. Hmm. Keep that nugget for RCST trivia. They scored, scored, what, 77 against Nebraska in 2007, 2008? 70-something. 2009? 73, 77? Yeah. That would have been funny if they broke it against Nebraska. That would have been hilarious. Um, Nebraska, the vaunted (laughs) defense. Here come the Kansas Jayhawks. Well, so at that point, they're 3-0-1, and then they have their second tie against Oklahoma. And as we mentioned, that Oklahoma team ended up sharing the Big Six title with Kansas. That Oklahoma team finished ranked 16th. That game was 13-13. to From there, Kansas so was won was overtime out. just not a thing? No, it was not. That's stupid. See, but I'll be honest. Like, I can actually kind of— You're fine with no overtime? I kind of am at this point because think about it. I know this sounds crazy, but if we are if we are properly evaluating in college football specifically, who the best teams are, okay, isn't that more reflective if a game was tied at the end of regulation to just say they tied than to be like, <laughs> oh well, this team won on a weird two point conversion where the ball got tipped up in the air and the guy caught it and the other team just couldn't convert a two point? Like, isn't that more indicative to the results to say the two teams are just even? in evaluating how good these teams are than saying, oh, well, they squeaked out a one-point overtime win. You know how win. disastrous that would be for the college football playoff? Would like, it it's already a disaster. By the way, Alabama is. would be in the playoff right now if that were the case, right? Because they, they would have been tied with LSU. Oh, with LSU. Yeah. 
No, they wouldn't have got. You don't it. think so? They'd be what ten one and one? Oh, I guess maybe they would be. But they've been in over Ohio State. Maybe ten one and one with a field goal loss. This, is, a, this is America. We don't need. I'm ties. just saying. I actually can get on board we with. We don't this. need ties. Yeah, I man. guess p- people are. I'm gonna get punched when I walk outside. Yeah. Um, people like you're not American. Um, this is America. But yeah, they, they, they went on a roll here. after Listen, those ties. The Giants and the Commanders. <laughs> uh, Fifty-five to nothing win over Kansas State. 13 to 7 win at Nebraska and then they beat Oklahoma State after that and and this is weird Missouri was not their last game that year they played Missouri in the second to last game they beat them 20 to 14 and at that point this is what's funny so at that point they had one more game remaining they played Arizona a week after Missouri on the road just very weird why are schedule they playing Arizona right? what the? but they had at that point clinched a share of the big six title and because of that they were already extended an invite to the Orange Bowl so literally in the pregame pep talk before the Arizona regular season finale, George Sauer, the head coach, told the team about the bowl invitation and acceptance, and that supposedly got them all, you know, rallied, ready to go, and they beat Arizona 54 28. Because hmm. they were super excited. Um so they end up eight oh and two, outscored their opponents that year three oh four to one oh two. Really good team. Uh you might recognize this name, Ray Evans. He was an AP All American. The first ever for KU football. He was also a two-time basketball All-American. Just unbelievable athlete. Um, and then you have on the All-Big Six team, Evans. You have Otto Schnellbacher, who was also like an All-American in basketball. And he was a really good end, which at the time, like you would see the position end nowadays and you think defensive end, right? Or tight end, I guess. Um, at the time, end was like receiver. You were like the end of the line of scrimmage. Well, that makes sense. But he was like a 6'4", like 230-pound receiver. Oh. Which at the time, too, like 6'4", 230 yeah, was huge. like offensive line, right? Yeah. He, so he was a really good player. Uh, got, uh, Don Fambro, who was a uh, former KU coach, he was a guard on this team after transferring in from Texas. And then you have Forrest Griffith, the halfback. All of those guys earned all big six. How about this? The average age of KU's players that season, this is the average age, it was 25. Jeez. You might be wondering, well, how team. is that possible? Well, if you... Keep track of the dates. Obviously, 1947 season. That was a few years after World War II. There were a lot of people who enlisted in World War II and then came back and went to school and went to college. And so they were older. So you had a lot of people. You actually had players on the team who were like in combat in World War II. Yeah. At that point, the most physical people you're going to have out there. Like, yeah, you true. dealt with World War II combat, you're going to be fine yeah. on the college football you can go field. beat K State. Seriously. Uh, so then you played Georgia Tech in the bowl game, in the Orange Bowl, which. Kansas came in ranked 12th. Georgia Tech was 10th. The Yellow Jackets were 9-1, and one, giving up just four points per game. Jeez. And there were some prognosticators that had the Yellow Jackets as a 13-point favorite. So, a little spoiler here. Kansas lost the game, but they covered. Great teams <laughs> cover, right? I don't know where you would have got that, that betting line at that point in time. I guess probably only Las Vegas. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is a nice little throwback. Kansas traveled to the game on a Pan American flight. The old... Uh, Pan Am. Yeah. Nearly 60,000 people attended the game in Miami. Which, people, by the way... People are concerned about KU fans traveling for the Liberty Bowl. Yeah. No, by the way, I'm glad that you just uh, brought that up. The uh, Liberty Bowl, or, or KU announced they, they sold out their allotment, their initial allotment, so the, the Liberty Bowl gave them more. That's exciting. For the Liberty Bowl. But yeah, nearly yep. 60,000 attended the game. It was in Miami. Apparently one of the, the the members of the committee on the Orange Bowl that year 
was like a Kansas alumni. And so he made sure that they had like great attendance. And also the band and the cheerleaders weren't going to be able to afford attending Kansas governor at the time, Frank Carlson helped raise $18,000 for them to attend. Just group effort. You got to have around. the band and the cheerleaders. Yeah, have to. So as far as the game goes, uh, they trailed 7-0. Ray Evans got Kansas on the board. It was 7-7 at halftime. Third quarter, you had a couple passing touchdowns from Georgia Tech, made it 20-7 to going into the fourth quarter. And then Ray Evans, who at the time, like he would play quarterback, halfback, he just did everything. He caught a touchdown pass, made the score 20-14, to and it looked like Kansas was going to be able to mount the comeback. They forced a fumble and recovered it at the Georgia Tech 42-yard line. So they're 42 yards away from getting a touchdown in PAT to win the game. They hit on their first play of the drive, 16-yard pass the Schnellbacher. So now they're sitting at the 26-yard line with about a minute to go. And then this happened. I'm going to read it directly out of the – this is from the KU website from Mark D. Hersey of the KU Department of History. That play was followed by one in which Evans improbably turned a short gain into a long one by pitching to Schnellbacher, Schnellbacher, who ran across the goal line, but not before the referees saw him step out of bounds at the 10. Evans then managed to plunge his way to the two-yard line before he was stopped. KU quarterback Lynn McNutt, however, fumbled as he attempted to sneak across the goal line, and the referees, after some indecision, awarded Georgia Tech the ball with less than a minute to play. Sounds uh, like we need instant throw replay. Throw the challenge flag. Review that. Yeah. On both ways. If he Enhance. actually stepped out at the 10, Enhance if he the actually replay. fumbled, Come on. if he crossed. Um, yeah, he might not have stepped out. Yeah. That's why so you wear white cleats nowadays. There was 37 seconds, and it goes from looking like Kansas is going to pull off the comeback victory. And they end up losing. They actually ended up with more total yards, 235 to 204. They had 33 less penalty yards, five more first downs. Did have one more turnover. Average 60 less yards per punt in a lot of punts for an old school game. But um, yeah, that's just heartbreak, man. First couple appearances sad. in the Orange Bowl for KU, absolute heartbreak. We'll get to the the other Orange Bowl appearance, um, the 1969 one coming up. Uh, but then you have the aftermath of all this. So George Sauer, who was the head coach, he left Kansas for Navy, which nowadays it'd be like, wait, why? <laughs> um, and then later he became the Baylor head coach. I mean, you're talking about it. It's hard when you rank out like the greatest coaches in Kansas football history. It's hard to suss out where everybody goes because you have certain guys like this, like George Sauer, who only coached two seasons, but he went 15-2-3 and three in his two seasons at Kansas. That's pretty right? good. But uh, a lot of people were up in arms. He had a, an abrupt exit, as is the case with a lot of college coaches who leave for one school to the next. And um, there was at the time like a lot of discussion about the moral issue of leaving after signing a new contract. He had just signed a new contract that raised his salary from. Get this, this is funny. <laughs> two and two point or two twenty five hundred dollars to now his new salary was going to be ten thousand dollars. That's big bucks, man. I know. And nowadays we look <laughs> back on that and like, wait, what? Auburn just paid how much in yeah. paying off a, a coach being fired? Um, so Sauer eventually actually got out of, of the coaching game. And he actually took over as the general manager for the New York Jets in 1960 and obviously helped engineer that team that uh, won the 1969 Super Bowl, which, funny enough, was played at the Orange Bowl. Huh. Kind of ties all back together there. Yeah. Uh, 
Ray Evans had his number 42 retired. Plenty of other great KU players on that team. Kansas would not make another bowl game until 1961. So a bit of a drought there. But that's the one we'll discuss well, on tomorrow's I mean, show. In considering since 1948, they've only been to 11 more bowls. You're gonna have some, you're gonna have some droughts. Yep, that's for sure. Yeah, 12 is really not that much. But I don't know. That was an interesting first bowl to say the least. Oh yeah, it's not yeah. like video or anything. They're actually I I was watching a highlight video on the on the one we'll do tomorrow, the 1961 Blue Bonnet Bowl. They actually have some video on it. Oh, Kansas sweet. was wearing like these light blue helmets. They're pretty cool. Dude, bring those back. I know. Bring them back for the Liberty Bowl. Be sweet. All right. We're going to take a uh, time out here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we uh, will have your KU women's basketball game coming at you tonight. Kansas at Arizona. A battle of two undefeated teams. We also have Kansas-Missouri for you on Saturday right here on your original home for the Hawks with pregame at 245, tip-off at 415. We're going to get to some uh, Bill Self and Dewan Harris audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Um, did you see this about Jason Garrett being a finalist for the Stanford job? I Like Jason Garrett, former Dallas Cowboys coach Jason Garrett? Yes. Why? That's what I'm wondering. That's so weird. Because, like, if you're Stanford and you're struggling to get people to attend games and there's not a lot of interest drummed up in the football team, the first guy I think of to instill that excitement is Jason Garrett. The most vanilla. Wait, who? <laughs> you think any Daddy, Stanford student is like, oh, yes. No, they don't even know who Jason Garrett is. <laughs> I mean, give me a break, man. Yeah, I but no, that is, I mean, That's the weird. Stanford situation is kind of funny because it's like, by all accounts, David Shaw is like a fantastic guy, great coach, you know, but sometimes you just run your course, you know? Yeah. And he stepped down, and I think he'll probably still go down as a legend at Stanford for what he did there, but obviously he didn't end it really on a super positive note, but, you know. Jim Harbaugh goes back? Why would he leave Michigan? Just kidding. Stanford would have to pay him a gajillion dollars. I mean, they could if they really wanted to just dip and into the Even then, like, would that be enough funds. to take him away from Michigan? <laughs> no. It would not. I do think it is actually possible that he, like, leaves Michigan, though. But it would be do. for, like, a pro job, right? Well, but he already he did almost, that. I know, but he almost left for the Vikings this past offseason. Do you buy that? Yeah. Okay. If you know. what if he was like the next Broncos coach? That'd be bad. For the Chiefs. Oh, okay. Know, it might <laughs> be you... bad for his well being too with, with Russell Wilson. That oh, would be the yeah. that would be the weirdest head coach quarterback duo. Maybe of all time. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Well, uh certainly some big recruiting news for KU football to get to. Calvin Clements has committed to Kansas. We mentioned Bang. the other day Clements was committed to Baylor for a while there. Yep. Decommitted a couple days ago. Kansas was allegedly the number two, which I guess now uh, we, uh, can, yeah. we can 100% say, mm. yes, they were number two. Right? Yeah. 
I mean, it's like, it's like Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson was committed to Michigan. Yep. And then uh, John Beeline left for the Cleveland Cavaliers job, reopens his recruitment, boom, he winds up at Kansas. Now he's a National Player of the Year candidate. So Calvin Clements is going to be a Heisman candidate as an offensive okay. tackle. No. Yeah, what would it take? <laughs> what would what it take? take? What would it take uh, for an offensive lineman to be impossible. a Heisman candidate? Impossible. What would they have to do? There's nothing. They're ne- it's never going to happen. 100 pancake blocks a game. It's never going to happen. It doesn't matter because that's not like a publicly a accessible stat. 50 pancake blocks a game. It would have to be to a point... Where in like 30 years, he we blocks, have accessible stats on offensive He line. blocks like five guys every play. To where like we have stats where it's like, this is his blocking rate. This is he how just, many pressures he gives up. He this just pancakes. rolls everybody. Where it's publicly he accessible. just is tossing players around the field. Doesn't matter. Like they're little kids. Does not matter. Just blowing them up. Does not matter. Just blocking the whole team. It'll just be given to his quarterback because he'll be dominating and then his quarter like it's like Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett is <laughs> gonna I mean he's a Heisman finalist. He'll probably there's four in Okay, what if he's like he'll a, probably finish fourth. Is okay. Stetson Bennett even a top four player on Georgia? No, not even close. Okay, he's so that's, that's, that's not even what top, here. He's not even a top ten. That's player. what would happen. The offensive tackle would just be okay, unbelievable. But, okay. What if he's like a but what if he's like a Jared Casey type where they throw a bunch of touchdowns to him? <laughs> so and on top of that, he's like Pancake blocks every like every single time he blocks anybody, it's a pancake block. And then when they get to the red zone, they run it, line up at the goal line, and they throw touchdowns to him. Yeah. So what okay. if it's like a what if he's like a what's the, what was the name of that that guy for the Cowboys, the fridge? What if yeah, he's like that? William Perry. What if he's like William Perry, where he's okay, just a giant that, dude, he pancakes everybody, literally annihilates every single buddy, guy that comes in front of him. And then when they get to the goal line, they throw it to him, or they run HB dive and they give it to him, and he gets mm-hmm. touchdowns. So, yeah, that would be what has to happen. He has to end up with 10 rushing touchdowns. He has to play defensive tackle, too, and he or defensive end and well, wind up with, no, like— No, how's he going to do that? Plays both ways. That's that's the only way this is happening. It would never happen any other way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. Should it be you that really way? Are bursting my, you really are bursting my bubble. I would love for a lineman to win it. If this guy has 50 pancake blocks a game— It does not 50 matter. a game. Nick, there have been unbelievable <laughs> offensive linemen— throughout the sport, and none of them have even sniffed winning the Heisman. Has there ever even been an offensive lineman Heisman I, finalist? I, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I highly, highly doubt it. <laughs> it looks like back in the day, but the, it's guys who played both ways. It's like 1936, Ed Widseth played Ooh. offensive tackle and defensive tackle. But that's just so unrealistic to play both ways. Even in the modern, in the modern game, it's not going to happen. Alex Wojcikowski. But okay, but no. See these these these, these guys that are playing two ways. It's probably a situation where they're getting Heisman on the Heisman list because of what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. Because they're getting not what they're doing on offense. So if this guy is blocking, center and linebacker. So if this guy is blocking the entire team every play. Okay, I, I have some that like are not. We, we take Superman and we put him on the field. <laughs> we tell him, we tell him to play offensive line. No, I, there's some and actually finalists. And he's zooming around, just absolutely annihilate. Like he's like he's like uh, from the Blind Side, Michael. Yeah. What, what? Michael Orr. Michael Orr. He's just driving guys straight out of the stadium every play. And then he goes and scores touchdowns. Still not winning it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. Hey, John Hicks finished second offensive tackle for Ohio State in 1973. I think that's the best somebody's ever done. Orlando wow. Pace in 1996 finished fourth for Ohio State. And the most recent Heisman wow. finalist offensive lineman was Bryant McKinney, who finished eighth for Miami, from, oh, Miami in 2001. It's not happening. I'm surprised anybody even got on that list in the like modern era. Like 2001? 
Wow. Close enough away. So I'm I'm serious. You tell me if we put if we suit up Superman, mm-hmm. and we tell him to play tackle. Yes, he has to play both ways, or he has to score double digits. Well, if he's, if, he, if he's Superman, he can play both ways. Yeah, sure. And okay, he gets ten sacks, <laughs> he gets ten rushing touchdowns, and he has a hundred pancake blocks. Boom, he's got it in the bag. So if Calvin Clements, you do that, you can win the Heisman. Outside of that, you could be a really good player for Kansas. I don't know that the Heisman is in the cards. No offense. Calvin Clemens. But yeah, this is a very big get. 6'7", 295 pounds. Three-star recruit. He is uh, KU's highest-ranked high school recruit now. Isn't he is, he, he's the highest-rated recruit in the state. Offensive lineman, right? Uh, offensive tack. Yeah, I think offensive lineman. He's number nine in the state overall on 24-7. Their composite actually has him at sixth in the state. Um, yeah, it looks like, I mean, number one's Avery Johnson, quarterback. Number two, Dylan Edwards. It's, that's as wild. He's probably going to go to Colorado now. He's a uh, running back. Uh, there's an interior offensive line lineman at uh, Hayden High School that's going to Notre Dame, and then running back, tight end, edge. So yeah, he's the highest rate offensive tackle. Okay, uh, in second the state highest of offensive lineman. Uh huh. Okay. Top 700 overall, which again is number one, number 52 in the country. It was committed to Baylor, which Baylor's been a really good football team. Won the Big 12 last year, bowl team yep. consistently. Yep. Um, he also had interest from like Kansas State, Iowa State, Minnesota. So. Uh, very big get for Kansas. Uh, I think I said yesterday this is going to be someone who I don't know that he's going to play right away, but you get him in the program, get him working with the weight staff and Scott Fuchs, who is a phenomenal offensive line coach, maybe red shirts the first year or just is kind of a, a backup or depth for a year or two. And then by the time you get him to a point that you want him to be, maybe he can be somebody that uh, ends up being like an all-Big 12 type player. Yeah, exactly. He's the type of guy that could be a, a, an anchor at the tackle position for maybe – Two years, mm-hmm. two or three years, right? But I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to come in and instantly make an impact. But he could be a depth guy, like you said. And like after a couple of year or two, year or two, see what he's got. Certainly exciting, right? And, and I think for Kansas, really the bigger story here is here was a guy, a local guy from Free State High School, who was originally going to be leaving and not staying at Kansas. And now he's flipped to staying at Kansas, right? So it's we, we discussed this briefly, I think, yesterday about for Kansas getting the the elite players, the local players from Lawrence Free State or Lawrence High to stay at KU, that's significant in recruiting. Mm. So to have an opportunity like this where he's a top recruit, committed to Baylor, decommits, and you get him to stay home now at Kansas, like that's the significant storyline, I think, from this. Yeah. Well, it – I don't know if, if this is what caused it, but uh, D- Daryl Johnson Jr., who just committed to the team literally earlier this week, has already decommitted. <laughs> it's been like two days. He was the tackle from Dodge City. Yes. This goes up there on the list, and I can never remember the name of the guy. There was a kid a couple years ago committed to Kansas, and in the post he said, I am 1,000% committed to the University of Kansas. He decommitted within weeks. No longer a thousand percent. This might trump this. Not that he said he's a thousand percent, but literally committed on Monday when the transfer portal opened up. Three days later, he gone. <laughs> but it's okay. Calvin Clements coming. That's to just Kansas. the world of college football we live in, man. I know. He's Dick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We got some bills. Superman, audio. come to KU. You'll win the Heisman. <laughs> Dewan Harris audio also in the five o'clock hour. Uh, we'll be back after this time out on RCST.